Uh, James, uh, we're going to look at the book of James again in case uh, you would be guessing. We've only been in it for eight years now. But it's, uh, <clears throat> anyway, uh, James starts out, if you remember how he starts out his scripture, is James, the bondservant of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ, to, to the twelve tribes who were, some of the scriptures scattered abroad. Now, that really fits us today. You are scattered, for sure, abroad. And then he goes on and he says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I think we could change that just today without uh, getting in trouble. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter virus trials, maybe, huh? Instead of various trials. Uh, I won't get hit with lightning, I hope. <clears throat> for that one, but uh, we are struggling a little bit sometimes with this, as, as Pete has mentioned here. But we'll get through it. We'll get through it, folks. And uh, we'll be stronger for it. I believe our faith will be stronger. Your, your faith getting tested? I'm sure it is. Faith in the Lord that he's going to keep you safe from all these germs flying around. And uh, and if you, if you do get it, you're going to be fine. He's going to carry you through to the end, right? Well, it's been 40, over 40 years now. And she was only three years old at the time that uh, we held a Bible study in her home, her folks' home, once a week. They lived in a log cabin in the hills outside of Hare Valley. And there was no running water in their home. They uh, heated their water on a wood stove. Sounds like the 1800s, huh? But this is a true story, by the way. <laughs> Uh, for their baths. They'd get the water from outside, then they heat it on the wood stove, and they bring it to close to a boiling point, point, if not. Then they poured that water in the tub. Maybe some of you have been there, huh? And then they added the cold water to bring it down to just the right temperature. Well, they were running late that particular night, getting ready for the Bible study, and Alice's older sister, Kathy, thought that she would be helping mom out by giving her three-year-old sister a bath that night. The problem was mom had poured the water in there, but just the hot water, and she forgot to add the cold water. Kathy didn't know that. So she picked up her three-year-old sister and placed her in that near-boiling water in that tub. Of course, the result of Alice's feet got severely burned. When Lou and I arrived with another couple to that Bible study that night, she was screaming from the pain. I remember that. And the bottom of her feet had huge blisters on them. I saw them myself from the toes right down. It was just a big old water blister. We immediately got around her and we prayed for her blistered feet. And as we prayed, Alice just seemed to quiet down. In fact, she quit crying. <clears throat> it was clear to each one of us that gathered around her that night that God was answering our prayer. Alice was being healed right in front of us. And it didn't, she never did go to the doctor. Probably the parents would have gotten in trouble anyway if they would have, but they didn't. I went back to visit <clears throat> her a couple of days later. Oh, ye of little faith here. And uh, to see how Alice was doing. And believe it or not, that three-year-old girl, Alice, she met me at the door that day when I knocked. She was barefooted, no bandages, 
no pain, and her mom was quick to show me she had no scars. In fact, she held up her feet. They were just as pink as can be. You wouldn't even know anything was there. I'm convinced, folks, that God had healed her miraculously. A prayer offered in faith, James says, will restore the one who is sick, James 5.15. Now, I've prayed for lots of people since then who were sick, who were hurting, all kinds of diseases, people that were uh, dying since then, but I never saw anything like I did that night. So the question is, and I'm sure you have been there too, why doesn't that happen every time that we pray for a healing? Why? can't God hear my prayers, we might ask? Am I praying the wrong way? Is it my lack of faith, God? What is it could be all the above? Well, this morning we're going to take a look at this portion of Scripture that's pretty difficult, but uh, we can tackle it, all of us. So let's uh, stand now for the reading of God's Word. We're taking a look at... uh, James chapter 5, verses 13. I'll pick it up. This is reading now the New American Standard. James 5, 13. The name of the sermon is How to Pray Effectively. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Verse 17. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Let's pray. Father, we got a lot of things on our mind this morning. So God, we just want you to clear that open mind. We want to hear from you, Lord. That's why we came here. We've taken the effort to get in our cars and come here, space ourselves, and do whatever we have to do. But what we came here for, Father, is hear from you. Not from Jim. So God, I just pray that you'll speak through me to each and every one, each person today. I don't care how young or how old he or she is, but you're going to speak to them. Maybe just a one-liner, but you're going to speak. So we pray, God, that we're open to it and we learn to apply your word to our lives. How does this fit us where we are today? God, speak to us. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for for that communication you've given us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated, folks. James tackles one of the most controversial uh, passages in in all of our Bible. And that's called for lots of physical healing. But is that really what the passage is all about? Is that the main point that he's speaking of? I don't really believe so, folks. If we only center in on this passage of Scripture as to what steps we are to take to witness a healing, then I believe we miss the main point. I think what he really wants to center in on us is and tell us is the power of prayer 
and how effective prayer can be in times of trouble, in sickness, in hardships, and in these times that we're going through right now. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, James says in verse 16. Well, we note here that James mentions the word pray or prayer some seven times in just these six verses. James himself was known as a man of prayer and believed that he had prayed about everything, which we should be doing. According to uh, the ancient, uh, an ancient writer, James was often referred to as old camel knees because he developed knots on his knees from his long hours in prayer. He tells us here, pray when you're in trouble, pray when you're suffering, verse 13. Pray when you're sick, verse 14. Pray for one another, verse 16. Prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much, verse 16. And Elijah was his example of a man who of prayer, verse 17 and 18. Prayer means to ask God earnestly, to petition him, to make requests of him, to confess to him, to commune with God. He loves to hear our prayers. He's broken down the barriers through his son Jesus Christ so that we can come to him in prayer anytime, any place. We can call on him, Lord, I need you. Lord, help me. Lord, it's just nice to be around you today. As an example of a man with a nature just like ours, he says in verse 17, who prayed effectively, James uses Elijah, an Old Testament prophet that you'll find in 1 Kings. Most of you are familiar with it. We have to all agree here that Elijah got results when he prayed. He prayed for rain, as James says here, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed for rain again. I mean, excuse me, he prayed for no rain, and it didn't rain for three and a half years. He prayed for rain later on, and sure enough, it did. It poured. Verse 18. He prayed that fire would come down and consume the offering when he was competing with the, the Baal worshipers. And it did. It consumed the, the, fire, the offering, the wood, the stones, and even the dust, if you read that scripture. Great passage he prayed the widow's son who had died would come back to life and he did this guy was something else and yet james says he's just an average guy just an average everyday believer he had a nature just like ours he had his weaknesses too just like we do you remember he he after working this calling this fire down and seeing this rain come when he prayed and everything Jezebel has threatened him with his life. Get your act together tomorrow, you're going to die. So he runs like a chicken. You know, he runs right up in the hills. And he says, and he stays up in the hills and he says, Woe is me, more or less. He got depressed, like some of us do. He got down. He was even to the place of suicide, if you look at this closely. He says, Lord, I'm the only one that believes in you. He's ready to bag it. God says, don't kid yourself. There's 7,000 out there that never bent their knee to Baal. You're not alone, Elijah. Get your act together. He had weaknesses just like us. Now, let's look at what James says about Elijah's prayer life and see if we can just pick up some reasons his prayers were so effective. 
Reason number one. Never thought like Reason number one. He prayed. He prayed. He prayed earnestly, it says here. We cannot be very effective in our prayers unless we make it a habit of praying about everything that comes our way. I notice that a lot of times we Christians don't pray for anything unless it's mealtime. You know, and if we're only by ourselves, we probably skip that one. You know, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. We're supposed to make it a habit. Notice verse thirteen. Anyone among you sick, suffering, excuse me, let him pray. New American Standard says. Now, some translations use the word instead of suffering, affliction. You suffer an affliction, or if you're but he's in trouble, he should pray. So it's not only physical suffering, but hardships that come our way. Prayer is appropriate in every situation in life and certainly appropriate in times of affliction and suffering. We should pray before when we hear that phone ring. I I do that yesterday. Lou clued me in from the house who was calling me, and I figured I better pray. (laughs) I was at the the shop before I picked up the phone. We should do that. We should get in the habit of that. Pray about everything. And yet, there's sometimes people's prayer. Christians, see, prayer is the last resort. When all else fails, we pray. But that should not be that way before the Christian who has put his, and her, his or her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Prayer should come first not last. Bill Hybels in his book called, quote, Too Busy Not to Pray, he writes, quote, To the people in the fast lane, determined to make it on their own, prayer is an embarrassing interruption. Prayer is alien to our proud human nature. Wow. Pride keeps us from saying, let's pray about it. I hope you can find a good doctor. You know, I hope this guy will help you. No, we should say, let's pray about it and see if the Lord can lead you to the right person. Are you a Christian who prays, who prays about everything, who prays and prays and prays, not just when you're hurting, not just when you'd like to see the rain stop (laughs) so you can get your hay in, Or whatever. Since God's power is greater than any medicine or any doctor, folks, it only makes sense to go to him first. I remember a guy in a Bible study that we had right over here, a couple, few blocks from here. And he had a a daughter that had one eye that was pulled towards the center. Cross-eyed, we call and she was getting pretty good age. And he said, I finally found a doctor that says he can correct that. But this guy was leading the Bible study. And he said to us, he admitted to us, he says, well, we really haven't prayed about it at all. It, it, it happens, don't it? We get the cart before the horse, more or less. Human, our human tendency is when we do pray, then, is we ask, why, Lord? Why am I going through this? Why is that happening to me? But a more appropriate prayer 
in these times of suffering and the trouble is to ask what? Lord, what are you saying to me through these difficulties? What do you want me to learn? What do you want me to do? What, Lord? What am I learning through this? Now, James also says here in verse 13, sometimes the appropriate prayer is that of praise and thanksgiving. Is anyone cheerful, he says? Then let him sing praises like we did this morning. Sometimes we're doing it with our mouth, but it's not with our heart. I've been there. I've been there. Anyone, Anyone cheerful, he said, let him sing praises. In times of affliction, we are to pray. But when we're free from affliction, free from troubles, it's a time to sing praises. The question is, can we sing praises while we're going through affliction? Uh, uh, Paul and Silas found time to do that, didn't they? Remember in Acts chapter 16, when they found themselves in the prison in Acts 16 in Philippi, after they had been beaten with rods, placed in stocks, thrown in a prison for preaching the gospel. About midnight, Acts 16.25 says, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and their fellow prisoners were listening to them. People will listen to you when you're going through troubles. They will. They'll be listening to how you react. Always listen. But they kept the other prisoners awake. After all, you can visualize this prison, probably not a candle lit, about midnight. You should be sleeping. And here these jokers are over here singing and praising God. They got to get their attention. The mature Christian knows how to sing praises while he or she is suffering. The mature Christian does. Anybody can sing when the trouble's over. Sure you can. So James says we must be men and women who pray as well as praise God. The next reason that Elijah's prayers were so effective, reason number two, he prayed with faith. He prayed with faith. He expected results when he prayed. Verse 17 says says that Elijah prayed for a drought and it didn't rain for three and a half years. Now, Pastor Steve kind of robbed some of my thunder here a few weeks ago, and he done on this passage. But we'll see if we can glean a little bit more out of this uh, message from James today. So we go back to verse 14 and 15. I'll read it again. Chapter 5. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Verse 15. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, they will be forgiven him. We see here that there are two steps that the sick person must take in order to be healed, as well as two steps that the elders must take. Step number one for the sick person is he is to call for the elders here, he says in verse 14. Now, the word sick... Here, when I looked it up in the Greek, I don't read Greek, but I found a book that's helped me read it. But anyway, uh, I looked at it. It was obvious a reference, a reference to a serious physical illness. As we notice here in verse 15, the Lord will raise him up. So he must have been down. 
gravely ill, perhaps on his or her deathbed, will raise them. The Lord will raise them up. And James instructs those who are sick to send for the elders of the church. I did that. Exactly that. When we were down in Yuma here in about February, when I was diagnosed that the cancer had come back severely. I mean, there were these guys were more worried about it than I was. They said there was a large mass in that bladder after the doctors told me the cancer had come back. So I asked the pastor of the little church that we were attending at that time, would you guys get together with the elders and could you pray over me? I found out one thing about that. That's a humbling experience. You know, it's easier to just say pray for me. You know, but these guys get around me and prayed for me and he anointed me with oil. And we're still waiting for the results of that one. But that's a sick person's responsibility here is to call for the elders. Now, who are the elders? First Timothy five seventeen says, "An elder is one who labors in the Lord. He doesn't necessarily have to be an old person age wise, but he must be a mature believer, mature, who is a man of prayer, who studies God's word, who has experienced walking with the Lord, and leads a holy life. Quite a responsibility, let alone the qualifications, other qualifications that that uh, Paul writes in." In Timothy chapter one and first, excuse me, Titus one and Timothy three. So the elder, so the sick person is to call for the elders. The next thing the sick person is, must do in order to get well is to confess their sins. If he has committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Now I'll tell you, I wrestle with that in a little bit. I looked at all the commentaries I had and the footnotes and everything because was it a sick person that had. To, confess his or her sin or was it the prayers of the elder was it intercessory prayer here and it could have been intercessory prayer because we see that time and time again in the old testament especially moses is a great example he's always interceding god would say man i'm tired of these people we're gonna start all over strike them out you can start over with you moses and he's wait a minute god the word's gonna get out you know the people will find out that you're not a God of your promises. You're going to work with these people. He would intercede. He would intercede. So it's possible. If he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. It's possible. But tied in with verse 16, where it says, confess your sins to one another, it kind of leans toward the fact that the person has to uh, confess his or her sins. But the bottom line is, folks, It's clearly stated here, there can be no healing until there is confession of sin. It has to be taken care of. We see that backed up in the Old Testament, Psalm 66, 18, and also Isaiah 59, 2, says that God will not hear us. He won't even hear us until we've had a clean slate. And we have that. 1 John 1, 9, you're you're familiar with that. If we confess our sins... Confess means to agree with God. He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have that privilege. All we have to do is confess that sin. Folks, we cannot overlook, though, here in this passage, the possibility the sick person is in that condition as a result of being chastised for his or her sin. Don't overlook it. God does chastise for sickness because of sin. 
We see it happen time and time again in the Old Testament as well as the New. Read it, you'll see. Some sins that resulted in God sending a disease and even death on his people is jealousy. Numbers chapter 12. Miriam, remember she had leprosy? A little jealousy problem. God struck her with leprosy. Rebellions, Korah's rebellion, number 16. The earth just, Korah, earth just opened up and swallowed them up. Discontentment, these, these Israelites, uh, Numbers chapter 21. And this is just Numbers. Adultery, Numbers 25, where God chastised. Lying in the New Testament, Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira lied to the Holy Spirit, remember? Dropped dead. Dropped dead right there. And what about the sin of partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner? We've read it. It can result in sickness and even death. Some of you fall asleep. He says, New Testament, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So it's important to search our hearts, each one of us, to search our hearts and see if there is something there is causing the sickness, I mean, a sin that's causing this sickness before we seek a healing. Is there something, Lord? And remember, don't just trust yourself. Ask God to show you what that would be. He'll show you just like that. He has me many times. He say, hey, get your act together, sonny boy. Sickness is also, it may not be cause of sin. We know that in John chapter 9. Remember the man who was born blind. The people asked, they said, is it his sin or his parents' sin? Because he's blind. Jesus said, neither one. Neither one. Get off it. It's that God will be glorified through it. So it could be sin caused by the sickness. But maybe the slide is clear. Maybe you come and you say, hey, I know. I've got a clean shot to the Lord. Nothing between us. So now, step number one for the elders to take in order for a healing to take place is pray over the sick person with faith. <clears throat> Verse 15. The prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick. Now, it's not the lack of faith of the sick person if he or she is not healed. You got that? It's the elder's faith. In God, that God will raise him up, verse 15. I had a trouble with that. Years ago, Pastor Tom over here at the other church uh, down the road, he used to, I was associate pastor then, and he used to ask me, uh, uh, Jim, he says, uh, so-and-so wants to be prayed over. Come on, let's get a couple of guys together. We'll pray over her, pray over him. So finally, I remember telling him one day, said, Pastor, to be honest with you, I know that God has the power to heal that person. My problem is I don't know if I don't have enough faith that God will heal that person. So maybe you better count me out. <laughs> Get somebody else to pray over him or her. It's the elder's faith. You gotta check it out. You gotta have faith that God will heal. Divine healing will not come through faithless. Praying, it won't come. Step number two for the elders to take, to anoint the sick person with oil in the name of the Lord. Now, is there any healing power in the oil? Do you recall the account of Naaman the leper in the Old Testament, 2 Kings chapter 5? 
Naaman wanted to be cured of his leprosy, in case you forget about this. So Elisha, not Elijah, Elisha, the following one, told Naaman to go ahead and dip yourself seven times in that old, dirty, muddy, polluted Jordan River in order to get healed. Now Naaman balked at that at first. He said, why that dirty old river to go in that? And one of his servants said, uh, why not? <laughs> what do you got to lose? This is my interpretation. You won't find that in your Bible. But anyway, there was obedience. So obviously, eventually rather, he went <clears throat> and he did what, uh, what Elisha told him to do. And he was healed because of Elisha's faith and Naaman's obedience. Not because there was any healing power in the waters of the Jordan. I'm convinced. I haven't been there like, like Lee had been and some of you had been there. But I'm convinced there's been lots of people who dipped themselves in that old dirty muddy river just to hope they could heal. And it didn't happen. There's no power in the water. The power is in obedience and the faith of Elijah at that time. And that's the same thing James is saying here. Do you have? Can you do the obedience? Can you obey what I'm telling you to do as a sick person by calling for the elders? And does the elders have enough faith you will be raised? The key here, folks, is in verse 15, is the prayer offered in faith to God. That will restore the one who is sick. God's healing power is not in the oil. God has been healing people for thousands of years in unique Ways, different ways, sometimes without either oil or elders. See, think about Jesus' time when he, pray, when he healed so many people. And I can't find, maybe you can point it out to me later when I'm running, but uh, down the road. But anyway, uh, that I didn't find any place where he used oil to heal anybody. In fact, one of the grossest things I thought he did for this guy that was born blind, he spit on the dirt, made a little mud in his hand, put it in the guy's eyes. That's gross. <laughs> and then he tells him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And he did. You know, and he was he saw. But isn't that uh, yuck? I think it's yuck. Now we know by experience that not everyone who calls for the elders, not everyone who's anointed with oil, sincerely prayed for, we know by experience that they're not always healed. Why not? Because God's will has to be taken into account. It has to be. First John 5, 14 and 15. He says, <clears throat> John says, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, he'll grant our requests. He says, 1 John 5, 14, 15. So if his will is not taken into account, there would be no lasting sickness. There would be no death. You ever thought about that? All we have to do is sincerely pray for this or that person and they wouldn't die. They wouldn't get, their sickness would get over. We're sincere. We prayed in faith if we never take God's will into account. <clears throat> we know that God, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. He raised Jairus' daughter, 12-year-old daughter from the dead. He raised the widow's son from the dead. But you know what? They're not alive today. They died again, didn't they? And I think people prayed for them then too. 
but they eventually died again. As I've said before, something I didn't get out of a book, but something's going to get all of us. I hate to say that, folks. Something's going to get us all. And sooner or later, that is. And for most of us, we hope it's later. (laughs) Right? At least I do. But anyway, so I, I picked up a little illustration from a book here that I don't know if you ever read it. John Ortberg's book, Everybody's Normal Till You Get to Know Them. <laughs> Boy, isn't that true? We got some real normal people here. Uh, Max Dupree tells about a wonderful story about his father. His dad had reached the age of 99. He was having some problems and he had to go to, to the hospital. So he and Max had some serious conversation. and he assured his son that he was ready to die. At one point during his stay, Max's father was quite uncomfortable, and he refused to get into bed. He insisted in sitting up in his chair. The nurses tried to get him to lie down so he could sleep, but he refused. So they called upon Max to see if he could help. Max sat in a chair next to his father, And the two of them spoke quietly together for some time. And then Max asked his father if he would just get to bed, lie into bed. And he said, no. They talked some more. Max asked him about getting to bed again. And he said, no. He tried four different more times in their conversation. And it was repeated. His dad said, no. Finally, Max asked his dad why he didn't want to lie down because if I lie down he says I'm going to die was dad's answer but dad Max told him you told me you were ready to die I am his dad replied but not today (laughs) 99 years old and he's ready to die but not today heaven is something to look forward to but I'll take a rain check just now Most people would like to take a rain check. They're ready to die, but not today. Some truth in that one, huh? Well, let's get back to our person, our our example on how to pray effectively. James' example, Elijah. Read verse 17 again. It says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Do you recall this story back in 1 Kings, some hundreds of years prior to this time in 1 Kings? Uh, If you got your Bibles, could you flip to 1 Kings chapter 17? I'll give you two seconds to find that. 1 Kings chapter 17. Okay, 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, Ahab was king there. 17, 1, folks. He says, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain through these years except by my word. Have you ever wondered why Elijah prayed for no rain? 
I, I, I did. I said, why pick that subject? Well, the, this, studying this this last week, the Lord revealed this to me. I was pretty excited. I shared it with Lou so she can sleep during this part. But I'm convinced, folks, that the majority, the majority of the people of Israel, uh, while Ahab was king, uh, prayed to the god Baal, B-A-A-L. He had 450 prophets of Baal, remember? So I'm convinced there were thousands of people that worshipped this god. So I thought to myself, well, why Baal? Who is he? I found out by searching through the dictionaries that Baal, with a small g, uh, he was the god of rain, believe it or not. He was called the farmer's god. He must not have had to put up any hay in those days. Uh, Or maybe too many people today are praying to the wrong god. Or time we get some sunshine. But anyway, think about this. What better way, what better way to prove to these people that Elijah's God was the one who controlled the rain than to pray to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to put a stop to the rain and the dew for three and a half years? Go ahead, pray to this crazy God of yours. Pray your heart out. It's not going to work. I've got the real God I'm praying to. Doesn't that make sense? That's great. I'm excited about it. I believe Elijah knew God's will at this point. He was on the same page. I, I, I can almost visualize it. You won't find it in the Bible. But I can almost visualize this. Elijah getting prayed. How can we get these people to believe in our God? God, how can he believe in you? Instead of this jerk, Baal, whoever he is. How can we do that? He's so simple. He's a God of rain. There won't be any rain. No dew, no wet on the ground at all. And I depend on dew, too. By the way, this is a side note. It gets, this is free. Anyway, is that I go out on about 4 o'clock in the morning when I got hay out there and it's drying. And I want to see, is this a good day to bale or is this a good day to turn the hay? And I don't know if you do this, but it happens about 90% of the time. I go out and I feel the grass about 4 in the morning before the sun comes up. And if there's dew on there, there's a good chance it's not going to rain today. So I can go out and do that. But there's no dew here, it says. No rain, nothing. I believe that God was on the same page, with or Elijah was on the same page with God. Then James says in chapter 5, verse 18, Elijah, you're going to keep that first Kings open. I want to show you something else. That Elijah prayed again, and the sky just poured rain. Now, turn one page over in my first Kings, chapter 18. We'll see you what that's, if that's true. It says, now it came about, chapter 18, verse 1. Now it came about after many days, sure was, the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year. He got that, same as it says in the New Testament, saying, go, show yourself to Ahab the king, and I will send rain. This is God speaking. I'll send rain on the face of the earth. You get that? So God told him to go ahead and pray for the rain. Now, turn over one page. Mine's one page. Chapter 18, verses 41. I'd like to read this to you. One of the most exciting pieces of scripture I ever read. Now, chapter four, uh, chapter 18, verse 14, 41. Now, Elijah said to Ahab, the king, go up, eat and drink, and there is a sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Verse 42. So Ahab, that's the king, went up and ate and drank. But Elijah, he went to the top of Mount Carmel, and he crouched down on the earth. He put his face down between his knees, and he said to his servant, you go out and check 
towards the, looked toward the sea. And so, so he went out and he looked at this and said, there's nothing out there. And uh, I added there. And he said, go back seven times. Verse 44. And it came about the seventh time that he said, behold, there's a cloud out there the size of a man's hand is coming up from the sea. And he said to the servant, go up, at, say to Ahab, prepare your chariot. He's got a chariot. And I got the picture. Got the picture. Go down so that there's a heavy shower is going, uh, so that it does not stop you from going down. Verse 45. So it came about a little while that the sky drew, grew black and clouds in the wind and there was a heavy shower after three and a half years. And Ahab rode, uh, and, and Ahab was riding in this chariot. He went to Jezreel. And I found out Jezreel was six miles away from this Mount Carmel. Okay? You got it? He's got a running head start. Verse 46. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah. He girded up his loins and he outran Ahab to Jezreel. This guy was pumped up, wasn't he? Wasn't he? he outran a horse in a chariot. I, I'm amazed. I, I was totally amazed. So, anyway, remember that it was God's will here that it would rain. Verse 8, chapter 18, verse 1. So why didn't it happen the first time Elijah prayed? You ever thought about that? Why, why didn't that? Wouldn't that be good? I, I know it's God's will. So he prayed once. It didn't happen. You know, it didn't happen the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, the sixth time. It only rained the seventh time he prayed. Finally, the servant, who I'm sure was tired of, would you go check this, the sky again? Check it out. I'm sure uh, uh, he, he, he did. And he says, well, here's my interpretation. Well, there's a cloud out there. It's hardly worth mentioning. It's the size of a man's hand. Now, when was the last time you looked at a clear blue sky? Clear blue. Now, no cloud. See, a dinky little cloud out there the size of your hand. And you said, it's going to rain. They'd put you in the nut house, wouldn't they? Your wife would say, you're crazy. It's going to rain. But Elijah said, what did he say? He said, that's it. It's going to be a cloudburst. It's going to rain, guys. Get out of here before, he told his servant, before you get stuck in the mud. And I'm pretty, and he predicted rain. So Elijah said, that's it. Anyway, what's the point? Don't miss it. And our third reason that Elijah's prayer was so effective was reason number three. He prayed with persistence as Prayed with persistence. Notice James 5, 18, and it said he prayed again. He sure did. And again, and again, and again, and again, he prayed seven times. When was the last time you prayed earnestly seven times or more for something that you really wanted to see happen? You didn't quit. Knowing that it was probably God's will. Second Peter 3.9 says, God is not willing that no one should perish. No one on this earth. But he, that all should come to repentance. So when you pray for that brother, sister, aunt, uncle, mom, dad, child or grandchild, that they give their life to Jesus, you know you're praying in God's will. Don't give up. Just keep on praying. Praying. But take seven times or what? You want to pray effectively? Pray with persistence. 
until you get an answer. The old saints used to say before me, believe it or not, they used to say, when I prayed through, when you got through those clouds and you got to God. I even know a song like that. I'm not going to sing it. Too many times, folks, we fail to get what God promises because we stop praying. If Elijah had stopped praying after the first time, would it have rained? Would it rain? Your, your guess on that one. <laughs> it don't look good, though. He had to keep praying. You see, pray, Paul prayed. You recall the story. Paul prayed three times that the thorn in the flesh would be removed. It was a physical affliction, obviously. <clears throat> Until God revealed to him, my grace is sufficient. Then he stopped asking. Jesus himself prayed three times in the garden. <clears throat> Excuse me. I better get some of this water. Jesus prayed three times. You know this script. I'm always fascinated by that. Three times in the garden of Gethsemane. Quote, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will. Jesus is praying that not my will, but yours. Your will be done. Could he say something like, uh, I'm ready to die, but not today. <laughs> you see, I, I, I'm thinking this time. The first time he prayed. Now, this, this isn't in your Bible or mine. But here's what I say. That Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's told his disciples all about what he had to do. He's trying to gear himself up for this. And he goes to the Father. And he says, Dad... He says, can we wait a while on this one? And, uh, you know, I'm only 33 years old. I'm, I'm in my pride. I'm in my prime. And, uh, you know, I've, I've walked by those places where they crucify people. And I've heard their screams right up to the end for hours. I've heard them cry out. Sure, they were murderers or adulterers or whatever they did. But they died slowly hanging on those crosses. Do I have to do it that way? Wouldn't it be a lot better to die in my sleep? Have you ever thought of that? Do I have to go through that pain? And I think then the father said to him, son, you know we talked about this before you left heaven. We talked about this for years, hundreds, thousands of years, how you'd have to die for each person on this earth in order for them to give their come boldly to me. This is the only, you even told your disciples, I'm the only way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one can get to me, Jesus, except through you. Remember that? Okay. So he goes back. He checks with his disciples. They're sleeping, the three of them. Peter, James, and John. Can't you guys stay awake for just one hour? And he goes back and he says the same thing. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but yours. See, my will don't quite line up with yours yet, Father. And you saw the example. These are just some of the disciples. They're sleeping. We gonna, we're going to leave this whole church, this whole idea of, of putting trust in me, Jesus is saying. And these guys are sleeping. And you know, these guys are going to scatter 
as soon as they, they bring out the swords and the, and the nooses more or less to, to arrest, arrest me, they're going to run. Even Peter, who says, no way, Jose, am I going to run? But he runs. Well, you know what's going to happen. I told him that's going to happen. You know, Father, that that's going to happen. And we're going to leave it in the hands of these 11 guys to spread the news of Jesus throughout the world that they can get saved through putting their trust in Jesus. We're going to leave it to these guys. And the father says, yep. Yeah, we're going to leave it to them. Son, just hold on. We'll give them the strength. In a few days, I'm going to fill them with my spirit, the Holy Spirit. And they're all of a sudden, they're going to get mighty brave. They're going to get spines in their backs and they're going to go out there boldly and tell people about Jesus, but you have to die first. There's no getting out of it. You've got to die on that cross. And so finally he says, okay. After drops of blood came off his forehead, he really went through it. Okay, I'll yield to your will. Not mine, but yours. Persistent prayer, folks, can reveal God's will. All we have to do then is yield to it. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> wow. When Lou, <clears throat> my wife Lou, in case some of you know, don't remember what her name is, When she was discovered to be a brittle diabetic in 1972, 48 years ago, we were devastated. I can remember that day precisely. She says, I got to go to the hospital. Something's not right. I was out scraping manure because I was milking cows. Had nothing to do with it, but that's what I was doing. I can remember coming down there and say, I got to go right now. Okay. So I parked the tractor and I took her in. Quite an experience in itself. Three years later, I gave my life to Jesus Christ in 1975. Excuse me. And we settled in a little church over here, not too many blocks from here. The pastor of that church at that time believed sincerely, folks, that God would heal her of her diabetes. And so he, with others, including myself, prayed earnestly anointed her with oil, asking God to heal her. But it didn't happen. Later, she went on to women's retreat, and uh, she had several elderly prayer warriors. Some of these women could pray heaven down. I tell you, they were powerful prayers. And uh, they prayed over here at that retreat as she sat there in that chair. But it didn't happen that she would be healed, and it didn't happen. Later, like I say, Uh, she told me that uh, when she got home that there was one lady that was praying over her, a prayer warrior, and God spoke to her clearly. And she told me, no one else heard his voice. Only she heard it. He said, you will not get healed of this disease. Instead, it'll just get worse. And it has. 48 years ago. God answered that persistent prayer, offered in faith, and the answer was no, no. 
<clears throat> my grace more or less is sufficient. As I've learned through the years, folks, <clears throat> our afflictions that God has said no to can be used. Can be used. Whatever you're going through now, physical affliction, God can use it. Maybe to just have some empathy for the person next to you, the neighbor across the road. You can identify. You don't have to tell them, yeah, I know I've been there. No. They probably know you've been there. And it can be used. You see, I wasn't ever sick much in my life. Uh, you know, I used to run and I'd chase cows and I'd do all kinds of crazy stuff. But I was never sick. And all of a sudden, bam, 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 bam. Hits me all different places. From the waist up, I'm in fairly good shape. <laughs> but it, that's the way it goes. It's just gone now. But what he's hit me with, I can relate to people that are going through it. I can have some empathy instead of just sympathy. As a pastor one told me, once told me, he came to me and he says, <clears throat> He says, I prayed for a lot of people with cancer. But he said, well, how was it different when the doctor looked me right in the eye and he says, you got it. Oh, you kidding me? You see a mistake? It, it is different. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You've been there. But folks, don't miss the power of prayer that God has given each of us who has put his or her life, your life, into the hands of Jesus, who has trusted in Jesus. You can come boldly, we can come boldly to the throne of grace because we've trusted in his son, Jesus. We don't have to guess that our prayer is getting through. It's getting through. We just have to get on the same track that he is. It's getting through. What a privilege we have in prayer. As we sing, the same power of prayer in times of trouble, suffering, sickness, affliction, the same power he gives us as he gave Elijah. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Hey, that's great. What's troubling you today? Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed in faith? Have you prayed persistently about it? Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a grandkid or a child, or whoever that's went astray, but you prayed.